The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Who are you? Isn't it obvious? I'm you. My God. The gateway. It split me in half. <laughs> not hardly. I'm you, Quinn, but I'm not from this world. I'm from another Earth, an Earth that exists in a parallel dimension. There may be hundreds, even thousands, of Earths, all coexisting on the same multidimensional space-time continuum. How do you know that? Because I'm a slider, and this happens to be my eighth slide. Slider? Yeah. Little term I cooked up. You like it? Yeah. It's pretty cool. You probably would have dreamt it up yourself sooner or later. It's a safe bet we think alike. Mostly. That's the entrance to a wormhole that runs between worlds. When you step inside, you slide through to another universe, completely distinct and separate from your own. Can you choose your destination? Afraid not. Or at least not yet. Think of a roulette wheel with an infinite number of slots, each slot representing a different planet Earth. Each time you slide, you're spinning the wheel, never knowing where the ball will come up. Win! Telephone! I'll call back! Sorry. I am amazed that you slid without knowing this. <laughs> I saw that old thing months ago. Now, thanks to me, you got the answer too. And you owe me big, hombre. You're gonna love sliding, Quinn. I've been to a world where the Cubs have won three straight World Series. Get out. Good morning, London. It's Thursday, March 27th, 2014. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now until noon. No, 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 not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. And welcome to our show today, where 519-661-3600 is the number you can call if you want to join in on the conversation. Or as always, email us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. And today, we're going to start off the show with a big bang, universal truths about the state of science today. And in the second half of the show, well, I guess the show is just going to go to pot as we examine (laughs) some universal truths about pot laws and the drug laws that we seem to be facing in this country. What a massive confusion there. We'll take a look at that in the second half of the show. But first, Robert, I understand uh, this all got started with this latest gravity discovery. Is that what got your interest going? Yeah, I don't know if it's front page news or not, but they recently discovered uh, evidence of gravitational waves in the early universe, which Mm -hmm. makes it more likely that our universe began with a big bang, which then inflated. And of course, we're talking at at 10 to the negative 34th second after the Big Bang. So, you know, it's very... The time seems very slow when you're there, though. It doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually an interesting thing, because time at the time didn't mean the time that we mean this time. But anyway, I know. (laughs) Anyway, so from there, 
people um, have assumed uh, or assumed things like uh, multiverses, the universe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this language problem. Like we're having we heard a, at the beginning of the show. We're having a language problem here, and yeah. I'm going to try to clarify that. Because this particular data and its supposed conclusions have got me thinking about just how sloppy science and the language of science and the reporting of science has become. Science can't be devoid of reason. Nothing can be devoid of reason. And with reason, there's always certain fundamental truths which theoretical physicists seem to be ignoring. Take quantum physics, for example. Uh, this is physics, of course, at the nanoscopic scales developed to help explain the phenomena observed at such scales. Uh, phenomena such as uh, the particle and wave light behavior of light. It's been shown to be a good predictor of, of the subatomic and electromagnetic behavior, such as uh, Hawking radiation at the event horizon of a black hole. But as I learned early on as an undergraduate in science, a model which can predict a system does not necessarily mean that the model is how the system exists in reality. I remember attending a seminar dealing with a computer model which accurately mimicked the phenomena of herring. At the time, there were three dominant theories developed to try to explain why we hear sounds based on the morphology of the inner ear. The volley theory, the frequency theory, and the place theory, if I recall correctly. Uh, the presenter, a well-respected scientist whose name, unfortunately, has lost, is lost in time with me, as so many years ago, he made the mistake of telling his audience that his model accurately modeled the working of the inner ear, therefore the phenomena of hearing was due to the theory that he was modeling. I believe it was the volley theory, but I could be mistaken. My hand quickly shot up as I'm not, as you know, Bob, a shy person in class, and I said that I disagree, that just because he created a model which seemed to mimic the process, that did not necessarily mean that that was how the process was in reality. Fortunately, others in the audience, notable professors among them, agreed with me and the presenter had to revise his conclusions. Really? Right there and then. How That's That, by the way, is the mark of a good scientist. He admits that, yes, I misspoke, that that's, that's a, a false conclusion that I made. Well, maybe was he just speaking in, you know, we always have that problem in, in everyday terms, you know, and, and you get a little... No, he was quite clear about it. Yeah, he thought that, okay. yeah, that that's how the world well, works. Well, then, then, then he owned up properly. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Now, likewise, just because quantum theory is a good predictor of behavior at the subatomic, it doesn't necessarily mean that reality is as the mathematicals, uh, mathematical models suggest. The danger in creating mathematical models of reality at the subatomic level or at the cosmological level is that observation is difficult and experimentation is sometimes quite impossible to help verify any hypothesis. This leads to years of wild speculation where thousands of theoretical physicists around the world have nothing better to do but to work on these equations in a very insular way without any real validating of the evidence or evidence to show how they should proceed. Hence, we have bizarre theories being put forward, such as multiverses, membrane theory, every possible thing that can happen does happen in an infinite number of universes, electrons disappearing out of existence and then reappearing in another location without having traveled any distance at all, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, and other bizarre postulations. Now, many of these theories are based solely on arbitrary equations without observation or experimental evidence to back them up. 
and uh, any many uh, of the theories defy reason at such a fundamental level that even if data were found to corroborate the theory, the theory has to be wrong simply based on reason and logic. For example, the use of the word multiverse, which is a portmanteau of multi, which means many, of course, and universe, which means one. <laughs> well, well, actually, it means uh, one circling. Uh, verse, uh, the, actually well, the, the uni means one. The uni means one, but Where verse actually means something that is circular, and that's why you have the globe that you see. Like people thought that the stars were fixed. Oh, on you, the mean, you mean the, end of the, a globe. the word verse actually refers oh. to the shape? The shape, oh. yeah, which they thought at the time. It's ancient yeah. Greek or Latin, whatever. I forget now. But anyway, the problem with this oxymoron is just that it's an oxymoron. It's oxymoronic. Each term contradicts the other. The definition universe. In the cosmological sense, I'm using it, means the totality of everything which exists. Therefore, you can't have many totalities of everything which exist. Right. It, 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 that's oxymoronic. It's a common mistake to consider the universe as a place, having dimensions or size. And it's equally common to mistakenly think that there's an outside to the universe, where other universes might exist, or that we are inside the universe. Further... If there was a Big Bang, the universe did not expand into something. These relationships make no sense. In fact, some would argue that the term universe itself is an illegitimate concept, an argument that I'll leave for another day. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking yeah. about there. So, <laughs> in joke. So, for theoretical physicists to use the term multiverse... It's a perversion of not only language, but of science and reason itself. Likewise, when they might suggest that an object, be it a light wave or buckyballs, traveling somewhere in space and time at the same time, as is suggested in the double-slit experiment I mentioned in a previous show, they are defying the law of identity. If a thing is here at one time, it cannot be a thing over there at the same time. A is A. The normal sequence of science is observation, hypothesis, experimentation, and then induction or inference. In other words, perception, the observation, comes first, followed by concepts, followed by veri verification, then generalization. Much of theoretical physics is putting concepts before percepts, or the cart before the horse. This is exactly what I was talking about last week with respect to everything John McMurray was saying. He says, look, you've got to test these theories in reality. Right? Yeah, I really enjoyed that show, by yeah. the way. Yeah. These people are expecting us to believe that their concepts are models of reality, when in fact there is no observational or experimental data to show that they are. As I said before, not just because you create a model which is good at predicting outcomes in a system, it doesn't necessarily follow that that model is how the system is actually structured in reality. There are certain fundamentals of reason which are in direct contradiction to some of the theories being put forward by today's cosmologists and theoretical physicists. A is A. A cannot be non-A, nor can A be B. <laughs> existence exists. It cannot be that existence exists, but at one point it did not exist and then disappears and then re-exists again. You cannot get something from nothing. Are nothing does not exist. Are our scientists having problem just with the language and not with the science as such? 
was that? You know the language. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Which like, reason? Like, what is language except concept? Right. And reason? So when so when they use the term multiverse, okay, we might reject that. Would there be a better word for it? To no. describe whatever it is they're trying to describe. No, they are actually trying to trying to say that there are many levels of reality. Well, that's a different thing. I've heard other concepts of multi-universes that aren't really talking about a universe, but an area of space compared to other areas. Well, they actually you envision know, it. And, and they just, they don't have the words sometimes. They graphically describe, describe it as bubbles yeah. coming off a membrane and very localized big bangs within our universe, which then protrude outside of our universe into another well, there's no other word for it, area, which dimension. makes no sense. Well, dimension is another thing. Right now they say there's 11 dimensions if you include time, right? So a dimension's not an area. No, they're saying oh. that these <laughs> multiverses could be infinite in number. But, again, that's something that, if, first of all, it's not my area, all right? I, I'm going by oh, what I, I read and, and, and what I can pick up from it. But the language is defies reason. It defies logic. They are not concepts which have any basis in reality. I think what they're doing is they're talking about something which is delusional. What happened on that second morning, Gaines, about your 15th orbit? We lost all contact with you for a period of almost six hours. No radar, no contact at all. We couldn't find out what was wrong here. Well, we asked you that question several times after we picked you up again, but you ignored it. Six hours? That's how long it took. Then you came back in loud and clear. Who? Something, something happened. I know you're not going to believe this. I'm not absolutely certain that I believe it myself. There's another dimension. I don't know how it exists or where it exists. But there's another world parallel to ours. The same people. The same places. Most of the same chronology of events, except now and then there's something a little bit different. How do you know all this? Because I was there, General. I was there for almost a week. It's impossible. We only lost you for about six hours. We had contact with you all the rest of the time. I can't help that, sir. During that six hours, I lived out a week. Doing what? Looking at our counterparts, looking at us. Us, us, as we exist in a parallel world. One that exists alongside, but which we can't see. It's the world I stumbled into. I don't know how. Some kind of space-time continuum, some warpage. But there's a doorway up there somewhere, into it. It exists. Every now and then I think it's possible for somebody to fall through it. And I did. How did you get back, Bob? I don't even know that. All I can remember is running toward the spacecraft. And then... I was up there again. And then I was back here. Uh, Bob, I think... Uh, sleep on this for a little while, will you? Why? Well, because... Uh, well, I think... Uh, this may just be a delusion.
delusion. Bill, I can recount to you every minute and everything that happened. Every line of dialogue, every person that I met. I could recall to you the streets, the places, everything. This was no delusion. It was no dream. Oh, I have no proof. I told you that. Mm-hmm. Well, um, okay, Major, we'll, uh, talk about it later. Will I be able to leave? At least for an overnight. Mm-hmm. I want you back first thing in the morning for some critique. I want to have a look at those psychiatrists' faces when you start talking to them about parallel dimensions. Meanwhile, I'll get some rest, Major. Now, what do you think? Mm-mm. I don't think. Not on this one, sir. Some kind of trauma. Something to set him tilt like that, eh? Can we call it tilt, sir? Well, what else? Another dimension? Another world parallel to ours? <laughs> you call that rational? Well, up there, who knows what's rational and what isn't. Well, I'll be the judge of that, to tell you the truth. You know, I know that's from the Twilight Zone, but I don't recall that episode. Uh, I, I I do. It was uh, boy. I haven't seen that in a long time. You know, one thing about all of these theories that the uh, theoretical physicists are coming up, up up with is that it makes for great sci-fi. Yeah, it does. <laughs> oh, a lot of them do. It Sliders does. was a great show, for sure. example. But you know something? People would look at that and they start to think that oh, maybe that's possible. Well, no. No, not, maybe it's not possible. You know? You, know, you know, when you look at a show like Sliders, it's not about the science. It's about the choices that might have been made that might have been made differently. That's right. right. That's With why I love those consequences, things. And make that's what th- makes them fun. They make you think philosophically yes. about actions and free will and choice and things like that. So, yeah. And it if has you can make it a little believable way. with some phony theories and stuff, then <laughs> it makes it all, all the more, you know, it, it makes it easier for you to suspend your disbelief, right? Yeah. But what I have a problem with is that the fundamentals of reason are being challenged and denied mm. by some, some of these people in order to fit their equations. Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, you, you remember that, I, I think, because we talked about it before mm. on the show. It states that the more precisely the position of some particle is determined, the less precisely its momentum can be known and vice versa. This has led physicists um, to, to create a whole study of probability to try and explain the subatomic. I've just finished reading uh, Dr. Leonard Peikoff's latest book, The Dim Hypothesis, and he has this to say on the uncertainty principle, quoting Dr. Peikoff. If a precise position and momentum at the same time cannot be measured, Heisenberg holds then that the idea of such a thing is metaphysical and anti-scientific. So if a moving electron is known to be somewhere definite at a given moment, its velocity at that moment is neither 0 miles per hour nor 186,000 miles a second, nor anything else. And if a definite velocity is known, then the particle is not here, not there, nor anywhere. Similarly, if the particle is measured at one position and then at another, but there has been no observation of the path it took from the first to the second, then, says Heisenberg, to claim, nevertheless, that the electron must have been somewhere between the two observations, that, that therefore, the electron must have been described some kind of path, would be a misuse of the language. So, by the same reasoning, continues Peikoff, these physicists do not hesitate to affirm many other anti-Newtonian possibilities such as a particle can dart to and fro at the same time, a particle can be at two different places at the same time and can interfere with itself, 
A pulse of light can leave a chamber before it enters. The trajectory of a particle is equivalent to the reverse trajectory of its antiparticle going backward in time. Part of the revolution of quantum mechanics, recalls, uh, remarks Niels Bohr, is it overthrows our ordinary, uh, uh, it is overthrow of our ordinary spatio-temporal models. Sir Arthur Eddington was a British astronomer, physicist, and mathematician of the early 20th century and famous for his work regarding the theory of relativity. And Peikoff quotes Eddington here. Physicist deals with shadows and illusion, not reality. That, I think, is key. It is, again, Peikoff, it is uh, Plato's cave all over again. But since concepts now have no tie to reality, it is a barred cave from which there is no escape. Classical physicists had studied material reality in order to discover objective causal laws. Throw it all out, says the quantum credo. Reality is limbo. Objectivity is pre-Kantian. Causality can't compete with Heisenberg. Sensations arise by miracle. Concepts are a detached formalism. Mathematics is arbitrary. Probabilities exist, but not yet. Aristotelian logic is wrong. Matter is passé. The science of physics does not investigate the physical. And quantum particles whose study lead to all of this do not exist. Quantum theory, Bohr quietly sums up, represents an essentially irrational element. It is this element that the movement uses to negate every concept and principle that makes physics or any form of mental functioning possible. This is the eruption of full-blown nihilism in the hitherto rational field of science. Confronted by such a spectacle, the mild Einstein could not stifle his reaction. If this is physics... I'd rather be a cobbler or even an employee in a gaming house than a physicist. I was going to mention that because I'm very aware that Einstein did not agree with any of this. <coughs> right. Yeah. Even though he was actually part of the creation part of quantum of it, mechanics. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. Now, what Dr. Peikoff, and that, by the way, was the end of the quote from the, the dim hypothesis by Dr. P Leonard Peikoff. What Dr. Peikoff is describing is a disintegration of knowledge, and you have to read his book, the dim hypothesis to understand what I mean by that. The dim means disintegration, integration, and misintegration. Those are the three letters ah. making up the word dim. And it's the integration of knowledge, the mode of thinking. And what he's describing is the disintegration of knowledge, what he refers to as a D2 mode of reasoning, the dominant mode of reasoning since the turn of the last century, exemplified by non-objectivity in literature, progressivism in education, egalitarianism in politics, something that you and I are totally familiar with. By the way, he calls Obama a D2, or maybe a D1 late. But again, that's getting into his theory. You really have to read that book. It's mo monumental. And um, quantum mechanics and physics, as well as the ever-popular string theory, which he gets into in a, in a part of his chapter. I'd like to go on to say that Heisenberg is to physics as Jackson Pollock, Pollock is to painting, or Samuel Beckett is to plays. You know, we're, we're living in a universe of disintegration, and quantum mechanics is just as indicative of that as Jackson Pollock was, or Samuel Beckett. And I'd like to conclude this talk about the perversion of language in science by quoting two paragraphs from an article I recently found by Daniel Greenfield, uh, and you can find this online at sultanish.blogspot.ca, and that's spelled sultan, S-U-L-T-A-N, and one word, 
nish k n i s h dot blogspot dot c a quoting daniel greenfield science has been reduced to an absolute form of authority that is always correct the saganists envision science he's talking of carl sagan here of course the saganists envision science as a battle between superstition and truth but what distinguished science from superstition was the ability to throw out wrong conclusions based on testing without the scientific method science is just another philosophy where anything can be proven if you manipulate the terminology so that the target is drawn around the arrow add statistical games and nothing means anything this form of science measures itself not against the universe and there's that use of the word again yeah. not against reality i would say or existence but against the intellectual bubble inhabited by those who share the same world view or those who live under their control it's not a bold exploration of the cosmos but a timid repetition of clichés the debates are as microscopic as this miniature pocket universe discoveries are accidental and often misinterpreted to fit with in dogma and that's exactly what i'm seeing with uh, theoretical physicists with people who postulate uh, multiple universes time travel faster than light travel all of that kind of stuff is basically uh, the, the flights of fantasy it's with no prov- no no evidence to suggest that they exist in reality that's the, what we're talking about on this show all the time is reality well, it's interesting. Last week, when I was discussing some of the ideas of uh, John McMurray, he he specifically mentions how science is a product of intention, right? And intentions leave things out because we only want the knowledge to achieve certain ends that achieve our basic goals, right? So when we discover something, we might not see those things because it doesn't match our current intentions, and that's sort of what formulates science. But you know. I remember being brought up as a kid and being told that when you look up into the sky at night, you're looking back into time. Mm -hmm. And that if you see a star that's 100 light years away versus a star that's two light years away, you're looking two years back into time with the one star and 100 years back into time with whatever is 100 light years away. It takes 100 years to get here. Are we really looking back into time? I don't think that's what we're looking into, is it? It's just just the light's reaching here now, and that's what we're seeing, and it's here today. Yeah, but the thing is that that light um, represents that object 100 years ago. Correct. It's 100 light years away. So that's actually not a bad way to look at it. Like, for example, the moon, I think, is about a second and a half away. So you mean Trelane was right in uh, Star Trek when he looked (laughs) in the telescope and saw Earth back in the 14th or 15th century, right? yes. Yeah. So, I mean, if you had somebody uh, 100 light years away and they were waving their hands at you and you see them through the telescope, they did that action 100 years ago if they're 100 light years away. Interesting. So, yeah, that's accurate, an accurate way of, do, of looking at it. But I had an, an interesting discussion uh, on Facebook with um, a friend of mine who questioned, why are you questioning all this theoretical physicist? Isn't there any value to their work? And you know something? There is value to their work. There's no doubt about it. I think we have to think outside of the box, it's outside ima- of the Heisenberg's uh, cat uh, box, again, if you will. Again, it starts with imagination. Imagination yes. is an important part. That's why science fiction so often leads the way to discovery, yes. because it creates the intention yep. of the discovery. Creativity, right? I would not want to squelch that. I would not want to squelch, uh, squelch flights of fantasy. I think that's valuable. It serves a purpose. But I think we have to be very careful and, and, and say, 
saying that, yes, this is a flight of fantasy. What if? Everything begins with a what if, and that's good. But you have to say that I have zero evidence to show that this is actually how things are. It's just a flight of fantasy. Now maybe we can go out there and see if there's any data to corroborate it or that can lead us in a direction where my flight of fantasy is actually a reality. I'm not a Luddite. I'm not somebody who's a Newtonian simply for the sake of because I live in a Newtonian world in, in, the, in this studio. Everything is Newtonian, of course. But, um, well, except maybe for the electromagnetic radiation <laughs> around us. But, um, you know, and I believe in, I, I, that Einstein's theories are, are, are correct and the warping of space-time and all of that. That's fine. But when you get into the theoretical physics of quantum mechanics and, and multiverses and things like that, we have to start to question whether or not these scientists, just because they're scientists, are right. Let's see the data. Let's see the evidence. That's what I have to say. And anyway, we're going to come up, end this little discussion with a, a great clip from one of my favorite shows on the subject. And I think everybody will identify the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> Leonard, you're my friend. And friends support their friends, apparently. <laughs> so I'm withdrawing my objection to your desire to have a relationship with Leslie. Thank you. I will graciously overlook the fact that she is an arrogant, subpar scientist who actually believes loop quantum gravity better unites quantum mechanics with general relativity than does string theory. <laughs> you kids have fun. Hang on a second. Loop quantum gravity clearly offers more testable predictions than string theory. I'm listening. Amuse me. <laughs> Okay, well, for one thing, we expect quantized space-time to manifest itself as minute differences in the speed of light for different colors. Balderdash. Matter clearly consists of tiny strings. <laughs> Are you going to let him talk to me like that? Okay, well, there's a lot of merit to both theories. No, there isn't. Only loop quantum gravity calculates the entropy of black holes. <laughs> Sheldon, don't make that noise. It's disrespectful. I should hope so. It was a snort of derision. You agree with me, right? Loop quantum gravity is the future of physics. Sorry, Leslie. I guess I prefer my space stringy, not loopy. Well, I'm glad I found out the truth about you before this went any further. Truth? What truth? We're talking about untested hypotheses. It's no big deal. Oh, it isn't? Really? Tell me, Leonard, how will we raise the children? <laughs> I guess we wait until they're old enough and let them choose their own theory. We can't let them choose, Leonard. They're children. Wait, where are you going? I'm sorry. I could have accepted our kids being genetically unable to eat ice cream or ever get a good view of a parade. But this? This is a deal breaker. Look on the bright side. What's the bright side? Only nine more months to Comic-Con. <laughs> oh, yeah. Speaking of, of drugs, as we were, <laughs> what, a, what a theme I've developed. I guess uh, the, uh, the, the Senate is considered, uh, we're going to maybe, maybe, maybe legalize the marijuana. Is that, is that a good idea? 
Who would have thought people got stoned and watched CBC? Who would have thought, huh? Who would have? <laughs> I just never would have imagined. I, I'll be honest with you, I, I've tried a couple of things in my short life. I, I have never tried uh, the marijuana. I, uh, from what I understand, I would like it far too much. And uh, I hear that it um, also, uh, it, oh, it affects your memory. And uh, I just... <laughs> Legalize marijuana? Some people thought they must be joking. Just what have those Senate subcommittee members all been smoking? But perhaps legalization's not so far beyond belief. For a country whose national symbol is after all a leaf. <laughs> Consider all the benefits if we lifted legal sanctions. Farmers in Saskatchewan could all live in giant mansions. Sales of hydroelectricity in Manitoba would reach unheard of heights. As we tried to fill demand to power all of the grow lights. Forget softwood lumber, we'd have a trade surplus with the states. Quebec would finally mellow out, not want to separate. Bay Street would cheer as old Dutch shares shot up the stock exchange. And Vancouver would remain entirely unchanged. <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? <laughs> and it's so true. It just, it just typifies the disastrous situation of our drug laws in this country, how different it is depending where you are, who you are, what you are, and when you are, I guess. Uh, you know, the current pot situation in Canada, philosophically, politically, is an exercise in contradictions and counterproductivity. It reminded me very much of your conversation about the state of science, Robert. What a mess. What a pile of mixed messages. What hypocrisy, what sheer self-delusion, even <laughs> that word. Anybody who's trying to make sense out of Canada's strategy regarding drug laws and cannabis laws especially would have to be forgiven if he or she admits they just don't know what the heck is going on. On the one hand, we have individual drug users being arrestable and fineable under various Canadian laws for being what they are. While on the other hand, we see the law turning a blind eye to all kinds of illicit drug users, and now even getting into the drug trade itself. Which is what the whole prohibition thing's all about in the first place, isn't it? We've talked about that many times on this show. Trade monopolies. We could have made this single example the focus of our entire show last week on unintended consequences, Robert, except for the fact that the consequences of criminalizing drug possession by prohibition laws are fully intended. Their purpose? To monopolize the drug trade so that it's in the hands of those who support drug prohibition. We've devoted many past broadcasts of this show to illustrate that point. They're simple to search online at www.justrightmedia.org. So today, the evidence that this has always been so has become quite impossible to deny. Anomalies in outer space are one thing, but anomalies in our laws here on Earth are not natural and shouldn't be tolerated. Here's an article by H Hank Danizowski. Now, this, uh, this is about growing problems, by the way. There's already been an injunction put against this temporarily by the courts, which happened just this past weekend, which makes it even all the more interesting. But here's a situation just before the injunction. This is from uh, March 21st, full-page article by Hank Danizowski, and that's the same day that the, the injunction came down, by the way. Um, out of the London Free Press with an additional photo on the front page. And under that photo it reads, Kevin Wetzel is smiling now, but not for long. A new federal law means Canada's 40,000 medical marijuana users won't be able to grow their own as of April 1st. Instead, they'll have to buy it from licensed companies. 
or in other words, the guys who get the very high-priced, expensive monopoly on what could otherwise be a nearly cost-free venture. As of April 1st, the article reports, medical marijuana users won't be allowed to grow their own marijuana. Users must buy the drug from a government-licensed producer. About a dozen companies have licenses, including Weed MDRX Inc., operating in the former Imperial Tobacco Plant in Aylmer. About 450 companies have applied for licenses. The federal government will require medical marijuana users to submit a form declaring that they've stopped production and have destroyed any plant seeds or dried product by April 30th. Yeah, I can see that happening, can't you? Actually, I can see the forms being filled out. I think they're smoking. (laughs) Somebody's smoking something. How we got here, he says. In 2001, the Medical Marijuana Access Program allowed grow your own production in private homes and small-scale distribution. In 2012, Federal Health Minister Leona Aglukak said that the number of medical marijuana users was growing exponentially and was threatening public safety because home grow ops were causing fires and spurring home oh, invasions. God. Can, isn't that a stretch? You know what you've got to do, people out there, you have to substitute the word uh, marijuana plant with petunias. Yeah. And then you understand how stupid that idea is. People right. have hothouses in their basements. I've seen them all the time. That's just nonsense. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Now back to Kevin Wetzel. It's no April Fool's joke, reads the article. At the end of this month, he won't be allowed to grow the marijuana he's legally allowed to use. What's more, the London resident is supposed to get rid of his supply of marijuana that he says is worth $4,500. So he's been saving it up and putting it away for his further use. Now, it's funny. It just uh, just (coughs) reminds me of of Hydro One logic, you know, the same kind of logic. Isn't Uh, that an oxymoronic term, too? (laughs) What, what, yeah. <laughs> hydro one yeah. logic yeah. Yeah. multi-hydros is that what you mean <laughs> no hydro well, one okay. and logic in the same sentence yeah well it's the one and only hydro option we have and they operate the same way for example anybody who produces their own electricity has to sell it back to hydro one and then buy it back at inflated prices <laughs> what the, they might as well tell these guys to do that you right? can't make this stuff up no uh you know debt charges and delivery charges to boot so you have to pay the debt charge and the delivery charge to deliver your own hydro to your own home right uh, the whole operation is is pure systemic corruption from top to bottom, just like the systemic corruption within all the parties and the legislators support the monopoly. These people are cut from the same cloth as the pot monopolists. One of the most ridiculous notions I've heard proposed in a long time, just like the federal conservatives confiscating previously legally owned guns by regulation and expecting their owners to turn the guns in for destruction without compensation. You know, all of the criminals we should be concerned with are actually sitting in the seats of various (laughs) legislatures and governments. But I digress. Back to Kevin's problem. New rules, continuing from the article, mean that users can no longer grow their own or get it from a person authorized to grow it for them. Instead, they must buy marijuana from a company licensed to produce it. Wetzel is on disability pension and scrapes by growing his own marijuana at a cost of less than a dollar a gram. He says he can't afford the 5 to $10 a gram licensed producers will charge. Wetzel was shocked to discover he has to dispose of his, disp- his supply or risk having police knock on his door. I'm trying to build up a supply. Now what? Are they going to take me to jail for that? When the changes kick in, many users will simply go back to the street or buy marijuana illegally, and police will be forced to track down hundreds of medical marijuana users, he says. It's a lot of doors to kick down and a lot of people to throw in jail, end quote. Well, Kevin Wetzel is one of many people obviously now faced with this dilemma. Uh, 
Another that was covered in Dan Isowski's article was a Sarnia person, Corey Kaus, same problem. Another article, Marijuana Mayhem, National Post, March 1st, Ottawa replacing medical pot plan to curb back black market sales by Brian Hutchison in Vancouver. This article provides the same info we just heard from the Free Press article, but has a comment with regard to the MMAR, the government's previous medical marijuana access regulations. Quote, by Health Canada's, another government monopoly, former director of medical marijuana regulatory form, Janine uh, Ritcott, said in a court affidavit filed on February 7th, quote, the MMAR was never intended to permit such widespread large-scale production. What was originally intended, and notice the word intentions all the time, to provide legal access to dried marijuana for a relatively small number of seriously ill Canadians, which has grown exponentially. Well, surprise, surprise. There must be a demand for the product out there somewhere. Continues the article, other Health Canada documents predict, get this, Robert, the number of authorized users will continue to skyrocket under the new system that they're bringing in to some 308,000 people from the current 30,000 consumers, they call them consumers, not patients or sick people, by 2024. The MMPR, which replaces the old MMAR, uh, will simplify the process of obtaining medical marijuana permits by allowing nurse practitioners to, to prescribe the drug in addition to doctors. So they're expanding their own market by expanding permissions and expanding the right to give permissions. Now here's the punchline. Quote, despite the predicted increase in consumption, society as a whole will benefit from the new regime, Ms. Ricott says in her affidavit. Quote, the large-scale commercial operators will offer better cannabis products grown under safer sanitary conditions. Their facilities will be professionally managed and secured and will be regularly inspected. She refers in their affidavit to, quote, thousands of pieces of cor correspondence, including unsolicited letters from homeowners received by Health Canada over the years, which she says helped demonstrate the unintended consequences of the MMAR, end quote. Now we can all get in line for the unintended consequences of the MMPR, which are already making news on the front pages of our papers. And then in the midst of all this talk about getting rid of a black market and pot and issuing hundreds of thousands of permits to medical pot users, we hear this announcement out of Ottawa, as reported in the February 13th edition of Epoch Times. Looser pot laws may be on horizon, McKay hints. Justice Minister Peter McKay says draft legislation that would loosen federal marijuana laws is under serious consideration. McKay says the Conservatives are looking at whether to allow police officers to issue a ticket to anyone caught with small amounts of pot rather than laying criminal charges. He says the Justice Department will look into the issue and possibly present a draft bill, although any policy shift would stop short of decriminalizing marijuana, of course. We're not talking about decriminalizing or, or legalization, McKay said, prior to the weekly Conservative Caucus meeting on Parliament Hill. The criminal code would still be available to police, but we would look at the options that would allow police to ticket those types of offenses. Prime Minister Stephen Harper is open to such an approach, he added, end quote. So, are you confused yet, Robert? Ever heard of such a quagmire of contradictory policies on pot? And finally, on the current events news front, this again from Hank Danizowski with uh, Tyler Kula in the March 25th Free Press, creating a buzz. 
medical marijuana users are celebrating a court injunction, which happened on the same Friday the original article appeared, that allows them to continue to grow their own supply instead of buying at a higher cost from commercial growers. The article reports that as a consequence of a legal challenge launched by four medical marijuana users in British Columbia, a federal court judge granted the injunction. Interesting, the Free Press does not report the name of the judge or the date of the decision, which is really interesting. Or I, I guess it was Friday. The injunction only uh, applies to marijuana growers licensed as of September 30th last year. <coughs> now, the rest of the article uh, cites examples of various individual medical pot users whose behavior and practices will certainly not be changed or affected no matter which way the government moves on this. Meanwhile, Ottawa's reaction, as expressed by Federal Minister Rona Ambrose, quote, allowing marijuana to be grown in Canadian homes and neighborhoods has led to serious abuse. <laughs> by serious abuse, she means of the government's monopoly control. Mm. This include, includes, notice it just includes but does not make primary, public health and safety risks such as criminal diversion, which of course means uh, people other than the state-appointed monopolists who produce cannabis or grow it for themselves. Fire hazards and mold infestations. We will review the decision in detail, end quote. Translated, we're going to see what we can do to get around this latest loophole in achieving our intentions on drug monopolization. Meanwhile, on the commercial pot front, get the, the headlines are just amazing. Marijuana Incorporated reads the front page National Post headline on January 18. Accompanied by a full-page feature inside, the article reports that the medicinal pot market is set to meet big business with the commercialization of its product and sale, end quote. So I'm asking myself, where's all this big money supposed to be coming from? From the sick and the approved, you know, who are supposed to use it? Most of them are on the poverty side of life from what I've seen. Are they going to make all this big money off of them? Quote, a big business grow-up reads the headline on the inside uh, page. Communities across Canada prepare for a wave of marijuana investment. These are not your Cheech and Chong type characters, reads the subhead. <laughs> and by the way, if you notice the London Free Press buzz column of March 26, just yesterday, it reports that Cheech and Chong are, quote, uniting on the big screen for a new film. Oh. It'll be their first official movie together since, get this, 1983s. Wow. Still smoking, over 30 years. 30 years ago, yeah. So they're back for another round, and we'll be back for another round right after this break. And Jeremy, I know we've always said that your room is your private place. And believe me, I would never intentionally go looking through your stuff. Oh, God, you found it. Yes. Yes, I did. Now, what have you got to say for yourself? Hmm? Um, I only read it for the articles. What? I... No, Jeremy. I'm talking about this. No, what? What are, you, what are you doing with this? Nothing. I mean, Bobby gave it to me. Oh, Bobby. Dad, I'm sorry. Well, sorry's not going to cut it. I want you to look me in the eye, and I want you to answer me honestly. Have you ever smoked pot? No, I wasn't going to smoke it. I just have it. Yeah, well, now you don't have it. And you are never, ever to play with Bobby again. Do you understand me? But, Dad... No buts, young man. I mean, you know what to do when someone offers you drugs. Just say no. Dad, did you ever smoke pot? Yes. Yes, but not for many, many years. 
Did you do it more than once? Yes. Uh, more than once. Well, like how many times? Jeremy, that's not the point. We're not discussing my history here. Well, how come if you used to smoke pot, then I'm not allowed to try it? Because I'm the dad and I say so. What? <sighs> All right. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to pull the dad thing on you. Uh... Let's just talk about this like, like friends. Okay? Okay. Was it fun? Go to your room. Yeah, I'm stoned. Did you ever think about how... What? What? You must prepare yourself for delirium. Hallucinations almost anything. Beef with broccoli. Uh, gung pao chicken, uh, garlic shrimp. Beef with broccoli. Beef with broccoli. Beef with broccoli. Three beef with broccoli. And appetizers. Get appetizers. Uh, and egg rolls. You can always get more. Uh, two orders. Get more. Four orders. And, uh, an extra mustard. Yeah, thanks. We did it. Wow, that was fast. <laughs> Who is it? Hi, Dad, it's me. Hi, Dad. Something wrong with the door? Oh, works just fine. I thought you were staying at Franklin's. Oh, I am. I just came up to pick up my Game Boy. Oh, go right ahead. smells funny in here. No, 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 no I, I don't smell I anything. I no, no. Yeah, yeah, it, it smells like school. <laughs> Did you expect that? No, that, that was really funny. What's that from? That's from uh, the show Dream On. And uh, the whole show was about uh, the hypocrisy of the father and, the dr and his son over the issue of drugs. And, of course, they had just smoked a joint before his son showed <laughs> up, right? And the panic scene when the, when the doorbell rang, they thought it was the pizza coming and all uh -huh. that stuff they, they ordered. You know, when you were talking in the last quarter about all of the different contradictory laws and hodgepodge way that the government is treating uh, marijuana, whether it be mar medical marijuana or recreational use. I was, I was thinking of trying to put that together with my, um, my talk on quantum physics. And I think that I'm going to coin a term here, quantum politics. It's a politics where you can be here and there at the same time, where you can suck and blow at the same time, where you can be a progressive and a conservative at the same time, where you're unpredictable, you have an unpredictable nature, uh, and where you do not your, your, your policies do not conform to reality. Quantum uh, politics, uh, write that uh, down. I, I, I love it. I love it. Quantum <laughs> politics. That's interesting. Uh, is it a recreational activity? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, they're professionals and they make a lot of money at it. You know, that's part of the problem with the pot issue. You know, if you can say that I'm using something to make me feel better and I'm sick and, oh, gee, I'm feeling bad, they'll let you use anything from heroin to you name it, right? And as long as they control the use of it. But as soon as you start going into the recreational area, 
then all of a sudden it's verboten. Now, I just had to ask myself, when people normally drink coffee, which has caffeine, or smoke tobacco with cigarettes, nicotine, or drink liquors, wines, or beers that have alcohol, do we hear the legal people referring to that as recreational drug use? I don't hear that term with respect to those. Are they? But they're just as recreational as any other drug. Well, of course. But the difference is the legality of them. None of them are necessary to our survival and all have health risks. But people use these substances to help them cope in their day, pick your own poison. These substances do serve a positive in the user's mind function, whether it's to focus, unfocus, relax, increase attention. The common denominator to each of these is some form of mood altering. Did a whole show on that, mood-altering versus mind-altering drugs, but of course, when it comes to the law, this distinction doesn't matter because what really matters is a person's behavior, his ability to govern himself or not. I think what really matters to the government is money and control. Oh, yes, you're That's right. It com right. always comes down to that. It's interesting. This is from popular astronomer scientist Carl Sagan, who you mentioned <laughs> in the last half hour. Quote, The illegality of cannabis is outrageous an impediment to full utilization of a drug which helps produce the serenity and insight, sensitivity and fellowship so desperately needed in this increasingly mad and dangerous world. Isn't that amazing? Found that quote at the top of one of the pages of last week's Gazette. It is a, pardon the pun, sobering perspective on an objective basis. The University Gazette here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but the uh, issue is one of monopoly, not one of health, wealth, or recreational or med medicinal. You know, is anything you like have to be called recreational? What is this word, recreational? You know, I recall when, when pot activist Dana Larson was a guest on the show a while back, and he made a very provocative comment in the middle of our discussion about a 420 rally event. He implied that basically there's no such thing as recreational use, that all use of all substances is part of a process of continuing self-medification of a sort. No different in objective or purpose than choosing the foods, the weed or drink, and the coffee and the cigarettes and those kinds of things. It all comes down to our feeling good or healthier or, more importantly, more functional in terms of how people want to be when they use it. All of this seems to be socially acceptable so long as it only brings one to a state of some official recognition of relief of pain. But if you exceed that standard and start having a good time or using substances to experience what might be described as pleasure, then you're in the recreational department of state thinking, that is. And recreation is also a state monopoly. Well, remember, days. the word recreation implies something that is pleasurable. Well, here's a and definition. And if you think about it, government has always, 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 especially conservative governments, made it their business to outlaw or to regulate pleasure. Well, not regulate. Yeah, reg regulate and control. But, you know, every vice in the book is being monopolized by our so-called moral politicians. Gambling, alcohol, tobacco, cannabis, now in process. Well, look at the word they use to describe it. Yeah. Vice. Yes. Prostitution. It's a negative term. Now in process. That's for a future show. Mm -hmm. And there was even a news story about how pornography sold in Canada had to have more Canadian content in order <laughs> to be sold here. I kid you not. It was on the radio just a couple weeks oh ago. Oh, God. So, you know... Now we know the nature of the evil. Can't have all that kind of stuff going on without regulations, fines, laws, and prohibitions, all designed to keep a few monopolies in the business of providing our recreational activities and substances. So, you know, this idea that these are unintended consequences keeps coming up from every form of drug prohibition and market control. And it, it, it sort of assumes that these consequences were unforeseeable. But anyone could predict that black markets and people getting around immoral and rights-violation legislation 
is foreseeable. It's as foreseeable as knowing that gravity makes things fall to the ground when dropped. It does still, doesn't it, after our last show? <laughs> so people who tell us these consequences are unintended are either liars, incompetent, or evil about what they've been intending. And this fits so beautifully in with our discussion of unintended consequences from last week. What's the intention of this latest pot monopoly racket? Temporary court injunction aside, well, the people with the intentions have told us to control the pot market to the financial benefit of the monopolists. That's exactly what every government department and spokesperson has explicitly told us. Not a one of them says anything like, hey, you guys, we've got to ban pot, cigarettes, and drugs, etc., because, you know, they're really unhealthy and they're killing you. It's, because they, it's really because they don't want anyone else selling something that's currently a moneymaker. That's what it's all about. Mm -hmm. It's the control itself that gives such high value to a commodity like cannabis. Otherwise, its market value would plummet to a fraction of what it is now on the so-called black market. But let's never forget, it's the regulated drugs, prescription drugs that kill most people. Yes. It's always the case. When we hear what is obviously, should obviously be BS about the sterile and well-regulated manner in which pot is grown, it's like make-believe madness. Can you imagine a government bureaucrat talking like that about carrots, asparagus, or other vegetables and fruits you can grow yourself in your backyard, yeah, right? But come on, people, it's a plant, and it yeah. grows like a weed. Here, I, I'm <laughs> changing one word in this sentence. Mm -hmm. Quote, the large-scale commercial operators will offer better carrot products grown under safer sanitary conditions. Their facilities will be professionally managed and secured and regularly inspected. <laughs> Talk about, you know, talking about pot, like it's difficult to grow, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like talk it's coming from people. somebody who's high al already <laughs> himself. High on power, by the way. It's a losing battle with no wins anywhere in the realm of possibility or probability. Meanwhile, down in Mississippi, there sits Mark Emery, Canada's Prince of Pot, who was extradited to the U.S. to serve a five-year prison sentence ostensibly for selling one single marijuana seed. He'll be getting out this summer in the midst of a political turmoil over the potential of pot profits. And meanwhile, down in Colorado, you can actually go to the stores and buy marijuana for recreational purposes. And meanwhile, up here in Canada, the, PC, or the Conservatives are still hearing, uh, talking about mandatory minimum sentences for pot uh, offenses. So if you're expecting to make any sense of our pot laws almost anywhere in North America, don't even try. But one thing you can be sure of, the pot debate's not about what the politicians and bureaucrats are telling us. It's about organized crime, selling drugs, and they're the organizers. And that's an intended consequences, but though not by us. That's it for this week. Join us again next week as we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then... Be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. See you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Uh, it's different flying north, isn't it, than flying east or, or west or south. 9-11, uh, for one, had uh, absolutely no effect on security. On the flights to the north, you know, there weren't none before, and believe me, there ain't none now. But uh, here's the here's the security situation. I'm sitting there uh, waiting for the announcement or whatever's going to happen, and I got my bags, I got my uh, newspaper, and the uh, the pilot comes in, right? The 19-year-old uh, pilot. <laughs> so uh, so I'm sitting there, and uh, and he comes up to me, and here's the security uh, process that I understood as I understood it. He says to me, uh, "That your bag? Uh huh. Better grab it. We're going." Really? Is that it? Is that the whole deal? 
I got nail clippers, buddy. What do you think of that? Don't you? <laughs> I'm bringing those. No security that I could see. Oh, oh he did ask me this. He said, uh, you got any drugs in that bag? No. I guess they were smoking mine again. <laughs> <laughs>